Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Oakshade Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host, Welcome to season five. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. Hey friends, we're sitting down today with Professor Troy Fowler, aka Ranch Ferry on YouTube. That's where he's pretty well known. A little controversial. He preaches really heavy arrows. He's changed his tune, I think, a little bit over the last couple of years. He's talking a little bit lighter GPI type arrows, pretty big front of centers. But really, he's just trying to address um, the need for penetration and the need to don't shoot toothpicks at animals, um, perhaps more towards a Lincoln log. Troy and I don't always agree on everything, but this podcast, I let him talk, man. I let him do the talking. I want to pick his brain. He's done a ton of research uh, with lab radars, uh, working with engineers and rocket scientists, and as well as Ed Ashby, Dr. Ed Ashby. You know, the guy who published the Ashby studies, all the longbow shooting African game, that kind of stuff. And it's all archery and it's all stuff I'm interested in. And I don't really spend my narrative too much on this episode, but I definitely respect Troy. 
I love Troy. I like talking to Troy. And I want you to get to know him more. And I want people who think that we don't like each other for whatever reason. I've seen a few comments on YouTube. That's not the case at all. He came to my Oak Shape camp in Texas this year and shared the floor and did a lecture. And we'll invite him back to next year's camp in Texas to have him come and um, explain more of what he's uh, learned along his journey. He's a uh, He's just a tinkerer and a hell of a guy. Without further ado, this is Troy Fowler, Ranch Ferry, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. Okay, we're live. Yeah, so you changed the time on this podcast 16 times because you have a real job? I do, yeah. What is your real job? It's annoying, but it's it's been a 20-year deal, and I guess I ought to keep it around. It does help pay the bills. Oh, yeah. Those never stop. What, what exactly do you do, man? So I work for a... I'm a respiratory therapist who, once I got out of school, realized I didn't really like to work in the hospital. And I'm a pretty natural sales relationship person. So I went to work for a company doing medical gases that we sell to, ironically, respiratory, you know, pulmonologists, that kind of thing. And it's, you know, two companies and nine job changes later within those companies. And here I am, a corporate slug with 70 employees and a $60 million P&L and adulthood. Oh, adulting. It sucks, man. Adulting, it's overrated, but uh, I seem to have succeeded at some level. So that was never the, that was never the um, plan. I, uh, <laughs> my first career was shark fishing for 20 years and I thought I was never going to leave the beach, but life got in the way. Yeah. So we, when we met in Texas, I didn't realize, dude, you are diehard fisherman, like through and through. What? Oh what's yeah. Your... I'm definitely a, I'm a fisherman cloaked as a bow hunter. I, I've been fishing what, twice this week. I'm looking, I'm trying to catch a 10 pound bass. It's just one of the goals and you got to go to find out. So I fish all the time. I'm going snook, in June, snook in July, tarpon in June, in early July. I'll probably fish through the fall. I've, I've already got content out to October 1st pre-scheduled for bow hunting. So that way I can go fishing. Oh my gosh. I wish I had that much content scheduled. That's awesome. Well, let's get to know Troy first and foremost. Guys, we're, we're talking to the Ranch Ferry. If you didn't know, I had the honor to have Troy come down, lecture, at an oak shape camp in Texas not that long ago and it was a phenomenal lecture and it's going to be it's probably already on YouTube by the time this this airs but yeah so check that video out I'll leave a link in the show notes as well as to Troy's YouTube channel which is really popular as well it's got some great stuff on there but Troy like you how the heck what's the story behind Ranch Ferry how did that name how did that happen I love the name I um I've been calling myself the ranch for about a decade because I'm basically the ranch manager at my wife's family's place and they've got a big family. And so I'm the guy who I also fix cars on the side and I like to tinker with cars and plumbing and fences. And I just, I'm a busy person, just the way my head works and I like doing things. So I have a ton of random and sundry skills that I just constantly am doing stuff. And I'm currently building a swim jig and I'm messing with chatter baits and I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And I got a car to fix outside and blah, blah, blah. So I run the ranch and keep everything going and AC work and all that stuff. And I've called myself the ranch for a decade. So about seven years ago, I was shooting normal bow and arrow, um, you know, 
what everybody, I was, you know, shooting pretty fast stuff and I had all the broadheads and I kept, I was really struggling, um, killing feral hogs consistently. And, um, I killed a really good deer on low fence with no genetics and all that stuff. Not a class, it was a, just a really great property. And I killed 155 inch deer in 2007 and I haven't shot a deer since I could, I just don't want to shoot a deer. Now I've helped hundred people kill animals, you know, kill deer with me, my nephews and all that stuff anyway. Um, but the pigs, I never gave up on. I liked hunting the big boars and they don't, they, they take a little bit of work. You have to actually put in some time and try to get them. And you have to let a bunch pass and let the little ones go away. And anyway, I kept, I was honestly probably 50% at one time shooting them and losing them. And I was hitting them okay. Everybody knows we hunt over bait here. Everybody makes fun of us for hunting over feeders until you get to do it. And then you're, you're the first in the saddle, right? Yeah, uh, I'm guilty as charged. I'm like, I love Texas. Can't get enough. It's really, really a fun way. It's just a different experience too. And we don't have any public. I mean, I don't even know what that's about. I, have, I struggle a lot on public because I'm too, I'm not aggressive enough from hunting private so long. Like when you get on a bull, you need to go try to kill him, right? You can't screw around because he may walk eight miles overnight. And I'm, my head still doesn't. It's because I've been sitting, you know, on fenced properties, not necessarily high fence, but you can't only go so far. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. So you hunt within the perimeter. Anyway, I really struggled, uh, when I, I've got still got a passion, I've currently got a pig I'm trying to kill right now called the scar. And I've been on him five times and I can't get him to come in. He's super smart. So I'm doing some different crap to him right now, trying to get him relocated and try to kill him in a different spot. But, um, I was really at the point where I was really frustrated shooting 17 yards at a, you know, a target on bait and losing half of them. And I said, well, shit, you know, this shit, this isn't working. You know, I got guns. So I was reading Dr. Ed Ashby's Natal study, and I'm now part of the foundation, the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. And I said, okay, well, I'm not doing that currently. I'm shooting 450 grain, 425, shooting, you know, cut on contacts. I was shooting mechanicals. I had the rage. I had three different kinds of mechanicals. Shit, the biggest broadheads I could find. Didn't know anything about fair shaft or bow tuning or arrow tuning, any of that stuff. Just like a lot of, you know, probably 90% of bow hunters out there. I thought I was doing the right thing and it wasn't like for lack of reading and stuff. I was trying to figure it out, but it just wasn't working. So I said, well, hell I'll do what Ed says. I got nothing else. I'm already 50%. What do I have to lose? Right. If I'm 50% with that, then this bow hunting thing's BS or, or I'm doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid of wandering off by myself with not listening to the crowd or the megaphone. I don't give a damn. I want to know what's right. This is the way I'm wired. So I juice one up to about 670. I bear shafted them. I got a single bubble. I got the exact broadhead he shot the Grizzly at the time was the most Ashby thing. And I flat started killing the crap out of them to the point now. And I lost one last year. I lost one. I hunted for two months because I shot him back. He didn't die. He's still out there. We've seen him on camera. 
but the arrow systems don't fail anymore. I don't get half an arrow of penetration. My broadheads don't dull. The arrows go where I'm aiming them. They don't fly all over the damn place. And now it's only me shooting poorly. So that's how I became the ranch fan. When I started just, when I hit them right, they're dead in 60 yards. Before that, it was sometimes they were 60 yards. Sometimes it was forever. And a lot of times it was gone. Now pigs are, um, in my opinion, when I think about big hogs, mature hogs, they they remind me of a, a a mature black bear boar, just nocturnal by nature. They don't make mistakes. They got a good sniffer on them. Do you have to hunt them real? Like, obviously they're tricky, but give us some tactics. Like, what are you doing? Are you looking at moon phases and stuff like on big pigs? Like, what's that? How's that? What's the nuance there? So the, the biggest nuance on it, ironically, is the moon. And if I'm serious about killing one, then I hunt the dark of the moon to the full moon. The okay. minute the full moon hits, I give up on them. I just keep feeding, but I don't hunt them. Because they get real weird after the full moon. Like, they come in, then they don't. Gotcha. So that moon, the reason why the moon is good in the, in, after the dark of the moon is it's up in the daytime. There's a bunch of dumbasses on this earth who think that the moon always comes up at dark and goes down (laughs) (laughs) at dawn. And they do not understand that it's a 56 minute deal every day or 58. It's not 60. We just adjust the schedule. That's why you have leap year. Anyway, it constantly is changing. And that that moon phase is also good for fishing. When that moon rises in the daytime, the fish get good. So, um, that's when you would kill them. That's when I get on them. I'm getting ready to start hunting this pig. Um, I'm going to shoot him with a 780 grain arrow out of a 40 pound compound. Trucking along at about 140. I think I haven't decided yet. (laughs) (laughs) And what's the shot distance? Uh, it'll be about 20 yards, 18, somewhere in there. It's a typical white tail deal. I'm, you know, up in a tree, I mean, that's really currently the crux of my of my followers and stuff is tree stand deer hunters and lots of public guys who get a lot of crazy shot angles. They don't shoot far, but they don't get a choice on what angle they get to shoot. Yeah. Yep. So if you build an arrow system that's, you know, got great structural integrity and stuff, you can shoot that quartering in shot and get tight and bust through a few things that you might be worried about with a lesser arrow system. So when I looked up Ranch Ferry in Google, the story goes, nothing came up. I bought the name. I knew right off the bat it was going to be, you know, unique enough that no one would forget it. And it definitely flies in the face of the, you know, bow hunting world because everybody's tough guy and shit. But I pick up snakes and tail rope sharks, so despite being a fairy, I do some fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. No. So do you think like, do you, I, I don't think you care, but what do you think your perception people's perception of you is in the archery world, specifically the bow hunting world? I don't, I don't pay attention to it. I don't care. I, yeah. I, I really do. <clears throat> so doing the lab radar testing and the stuff that I presented for y'all with that downrange energy and 
some of the stuff is so factual. I don't, it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter. It, 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 that downrange energy presentation I gave at, at your camp was one of the most brain popping things I've ever encountered as I've bec- you know, done this. I, Barnett said it best, the rocket man. He said, you know what you're talking about, but you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So yeah. I knew outcomes based what I was getting, but I didn't know why. And it's become so concrete. Bow hunting is a very simple thing to me now. You have a very low speed projectile with very low energy compared to a bullet, which is what most people's familiarity with ballistic coefficient and all that bullshit is, right? And you have to, you have to harness as much of that energy out of this weak system to penetrate what you don't know it's going to hit. That's bow hunting. That's it. The broadhead of the arrow system must be able to penetrate an unknown target of weird density that you can never predict with no energy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, let's dive in a little bit. Let's kind of pick your brain. I wanted to get to know you better, find out some stuff about you. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Well, fire away. Tell me your background and a little bit about the elk shape thing. I heard you talk about it a little bit. But I haven't really gotten a chance to bullcrap with you enough to, you know, figure out you, how your head works. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely a, a hard worker over a hard thinker. I, I, I know how to work hard, and I don't feel like I have a lot of laurels to rest on when it comes to talent. So I kind of mitigate that through hard work and discipline. Uh, my wife will say that I'm the most disciplined guy she's ever met, but. To a fault, probably, but um, man, I, I fell in love with bow hunting in 2002. That's when I started. Um, I killed a bull with a rifle in 2001. I had graduated high school, sports were over. Um, I had done quite a bit of hunting prior to junior high just because you could, but once school started, sports. I didn't start, I stopped hunting basically, which is too bad, but I did. Then, um, got back into it, gravitated back to the rifle, shot a bull elk and was like, uh, I want to, I want to do this when they're bugling. And so I went all in, that's my personality, all or nothing. And, uh, the rest is history. I started bow hunting in 2002 and uh, I sucked at elk hunting. No, but it no took a, me. people have no idea how hard it is. It's so hard. It, it, re- it requires a, a lot of commitment for consistency, but I didn't arrow a bull until 2006, and it wasn't for a lack of days in the field. It wasn't a lack of effort. It was just a lack of skill and knowledge. Um, and so I finally killed a bull in 2006, and um, – the rest is pretty much history. I started killing multiple bulls a year, year after year, and um, we're we're coming up on probably close to. Uh, I'm 40, so I've almost killed probably as many bulls as I am old with a bow, and um, 
I don't say that to impress people, man, because that's not impressive. But I have a lot of experience not killing bulls. And that's why I started Elk Shape was to help people kind of figure out this learning curve. I think we're very similar, Troy. I, I, My perception of you versus my perception now after meeting you and hanging out is that you really want to help people and not have them experience the 50-50. And I want to help people not experience the five-year drought that I had elk hunting. And so that's where elk shape is. It's just I'm here to help people and I'm I'm a student. I'm here to learn and that's what I love about hunting is you never know it all. No, as soon as you think you do, they'll they'll throw you a curveball. So what do you think the biggest weakness with so you and I, we're just going to say we're both teachers and that's kind of our passion because that really is. I love when I get, I mean, I a thousand pictures came in last year, right? Yeah. I tell all my, anybody who reaches out to me about arrow tuning or whatever, I said, send me critter pictures. Yep. I'd rather watch people kill a thousand damn deer and elk than me. You put me on the beach, I'll go catch trout and y'all can go kill elk. It'll be fine. I'm going to kill an elk one of these days, but I'm just don't have the red ass. And, um, but as a teacher, what do you think the greatest weakness that you see? And also you're obviously a gym rat. So you probably do you, do you teach, do you have a gym and you do personal training and all that kind of stuff? Or do you not participate in that? I I've, I've already done all that and I don't do that anymore. I, um, I sold my gym a couple years ago. Um, but I have all the in the gym and you were helping people. What do you think the greatest challenge with individuals learning something new or as a coach was, you know, the, 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 the biggest thing that I would get is people, people walk into a gym with a mask on and they'll tell you bullshit. They'll say like, Oh, I just want to get in shape. And you have to like peel back the onion. You got to peel back the layers to get down to like, what do you actually, Oh, you don't, want to feel like shit when you get home from work and eat food all night and not play with your kids you're sick and tired of your lifestyle you know you want to you want to have be confident again or you want to get a sex drive back in your body or you want to feel like like you're worth a shit you want to have energy um you know no one walks in the door and says hey man all that they just usually say stuff like oh i want to lose some weight or i want to just kind of get toned like what does toned even mean you know so that's usually what i hear but as far as like what's the biggest obstacle for them it's themselves it's you versus you the best people to train are the ones that are like i trust you they're talking to me of course i trust you Tell me what I need to do, how I need to do it. I'm I'm all in. Th- those are the those are my favorite people to work with, and they see the best results. That you know they're they're they have an open mind and they're willing to give things a shot. So I've uh, you and I are you know funny on the same page as that because that's basically where my channel's gone is uh, my analysis of the general human condition and having to. Cause I don't watch a lot of YouTube. I don't watch, uh, there's an old saying in sales, the competition doesn't buy a damn thing from you. So I don't watch hardly any YouTube stuff, hunting wise and all that. I'm kind of an odd duck. And I know that about myself, but 
you know, humans love the herd. They, they love, uh, generally speaking, people, you know, sacrifice is not a condition greater than the goal, right? They're not willing to sacrifice necessarily or grab the discipline. And I think people are concerned about what people think. Now, I know that they're not, that the sacrifice, they, they are concerned about veering out of the normal path. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And it's a big problem. Um, it's been funny that I, that my channel took off at all because I always knew that about people. And I figured I would stay with my pointy tinfoil hat and 2000 subscribers, despite being pretty damn right with a low energy tool that's going to hit something that it doesn't know what it's going to hit. And I've been pretty encouraged about how many people have at least piddled around with the stuff I teach out there. Cause I figured, I figured that the overwhelming, you know, herd would absorb them and they would never, listen to a damn thing. That's the hardest thing about coaching that I find. And I'm sure you've seen it with your clients and stuff in the past. They're really not serious. You know, they're not serious. They want, um, I would assume they want no sacrifice in all the results. Oh, sure. Don't we all? I mean, that's, that's yeah, pretty I don't, I'm not wired like that. So I don't understand that mindset. I mean, at all. I don't. I, but I'm a really unusual individual the way I'm wired compared to other people. And I know that. So I just manage, manage through no, the normals people that I have to speak with because I'm already off the freaking grid. <laughs> I might have Osbergers or something. I mean, I'm serious. I, I do not think like other people. I want to know what is right. And if it takes discipline or you got to change something – then the right is right. Good is the enemy of great. Half-assed will always keep you half-assed. And that's why I started what I, that's why I did what I did on, on, you know, Ranch Ferry Channel, despite my crazy presentation style and saying whatever the hell I want to, I don't care again, but um, that's kind of, that's my brand. At the end of the day, I really want to help people. And if you don't want to listen, freaking unsubscribe, go away. The herd is waiting. They love more people that think like they do. They'll gladly pat you on the back. (laughs) No, I I love it. No, that's, 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 that's Troy Fowler in a corporate America as a dad. How many kids you got, man? I have three. They're 26, 24 and 19. They all have jobs. They're all out of the house and doing really, really well. I mean, I have a really great relationship with my kids. My daughter was just with me at the ranch shooting rifles and shooting clay pigeons and jacking around. And, uh, you know, she's just been great. My daughter's killed two animals in her whole life. She's hunted for 40 minutes. She called me and said, I got to shoot a pig, dad. I'm tired of all the boys saying you haven't ever killed anything at the ranch. So can we just go shoot a pig? And I was like, fine. 
20 minutes later, we're at some deer feeder with a gun and she blows a pig down. She goes, okay, I don't want to need to hunt anymore. Just like that. (laughs) (laughs) She's done. And she called me and said, okay, dad, like two years later, Hey dad, I know you're going to the ranch for Thanksgiving or whatever. Can I come down just shoot a deer? I'm tired of people talking about not having a deer. And I was like, fine. She comes down. We get in the stand. She's talking a hundred miles an hour. We're laughing, drinking Cokes. I fear we're just going to have fun. Let the sun set and enjoy time with my kid. And a five-year-old scrubby freaking 13 point with no horn. And we have tons of points, but a tiny little set of horns walks out of 75 yards. Kaboom. She said, hunting is fun. <laughs> I've been there 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, she's never come back. She likes to shoot and stuff, but she doesn't, she doesn't need to hunt again. It's been so much fun. And my boys were raised down there and, and uh, they're good people, but pretty good people on earth. So I raised mm-hmm. men and ladies, you know, that's yeah, you did. You did what you needed to do there. That's cool. Um, well, I want to get into your arrow process a little bit. Um, I think I think you've set the good tone, like, you know, unapologetic and and really just trying to help people. I think that's uh, to me, that was pretty evident. Um, I will say, though, you you have a mathematical brain. You seem to grasp some physics pretty well the science and stuff uh just listening to your lecture and more so than me physics was one of my hardest college classes by far so but that's okay we don't have to dive too deep in the weeds on the math and stuff but we're going to touch on it for sure but like let's just break down like most guys who slap on a mechanical broadhead um, on a really light arrow that weighs maybe less than 400 grains and tries to shoot whitetail, their day's coming. Like they will eventually, if you bow hunted long enough, you don't get to say on the internet, well, just hit them where you're supposed to and you won't have any problems. Well, then you should quit bow hunting because you're eventually going to hit them where you weren't supposed to. And you're going to be wishing you had some forgiveness and possibly some physics on your side. So we don't have to really. I'm pretty simply. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So this was something I didn't know. I knew about deflections because you can take a mechanical broadhead and take it and shove it in at an angle into a target. And one of the blades or two of the blades will open up and it will lever the shaft in your hand. It, 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 just, it will happen. If you shoot mechanicals, do it. Go put one on, put it in a target, push it in at a 45 degree angle and watch one blade deploy. And the other one isn't deploying the shaft is going to lever towards the, sh- the blade that is not open. There is no other way. I had some dumbass on one of my comments say, no, I shoot so fast that never happens. <laughs> no, it happens at an accelerated rate. At actually, f- velocity squared is 4x uh, the inertia. So it happens four times faster. Okay, we'll back off of that. The mechanical broadhead problem is this. The companies themselves publish kinetic energy levels in the 40s. They're on websites. You've you've seen it. You've seen the low KE versions, the narrow ones, all that stuff. Okay? So whatever mechanical broadhead you're shooting, if you're shooting a mechanical broadhead to Dan's point, go look up what the kinetic energy values are for that broadhead published on the website. Know this, 
because I've done it through Labradar. You're probably launching at about 80 foot pounds of kinetic energy. You're launching at 80. At 60, a 400 grain arrow hits with 53 foot pounds of kinetic energy. So halfway there at 30, we'll call it 65. Okay. Your broadhead's already going to suck 40 foot pounds out of it. How much do you have left? That's the mechanical problem. Mm-hmm. And brother, when you start plunking elk with them damn things, and I know tons of elk are killed every year with them. I got that. You're really mathematically behind the eight ball when you only have 15 or 20 foot pounds of energy to keep the thing moving because the broadhead sucked it out of the arrow's speed, out of the arrow's impact energy. It's that simple. You're launching at 80. This is the great fallacy with guns that aren't studied down range, a 6.5. <laughs> Creedmoor is the latest example of a stupidity. The 300 blackout was before that when they were trying to justify that thing. That thing's an absolute piece of crap. And I've shot a few animals with it. And it's, I stopped doing it. They're terrible. But it's the downrange delivered energy that's the problem. 20, 30, 40. And 60 seems to be something that comes up a lot in my email. I get a thousand messages a month that I answer every one of them. And it's mostly arrow tuning and flying and trying to sharpen broadheads and all this stuff. Nobody says great pig, you killed, blah, blah, blah. But when you have a, if you're sucking 40 foot pounds out of the broad, out of impact, it's published on the websites. And you only have 60 when you, when the arrow gets there. You've only got 20 to help you get through it. God help you if you hit something hard. Well, I have been always a anti-expandables on elk. I don't care. Like, shoot turkeys. If you want to shoot too animals, big. They're too big. Just, just for my world, it's all about elk hunting. And I've lost two elk, both with expandables. And, you, you know, you think the, the first time you're like, talk to yourself like oh that was me and then the second time was like never again will i shoot and i i shot the elk and i'm pretty sure the elk died oh yeah you got a pretty good if you hit him in the thorax and you got half an arrow and he's done he ain't making it yeah it's it's unfortunate losses will always occur i said this to aaron snyder we're trying to reduce the number of variables at impact to increase your success and the mechanical broadhead on the front is one of the greatest when they work i've done it there's nothing like it i have absolutely hit some pigs that were right out of the commercials i'm talking three feet wide there was one pig that went in the brush my buddy shot and spun in a circle and knee high there was blood in a circle and then it ran about 10 yards and went down it went 40 yards right there was blood everywhere Equally on the other side, when we failed, there there was nothing. And I've covered this. I just have another video coming up on a pig I shot with the the Ranch Ferry 3 blade that just came out. And right at impact, there was blood like running. I hit him low and forward. It was a great hit. 
And I mean, from where his footprints, you could see him, you know, take off in the dirt. You could see him scraping off because he started running, right? There was blood like, I was like, this is going to be the easiest blood trail in the world. And it petered out. Mm-hmm. He went 60 yards. I heard him go down. But right at impact, it was unbelievable it was on the ground. And it petered out because you can't predict blood trails. You need to just put them on the ground. And I also know I need to I need to study this. It's one of the things on my to-do list. Um, I don't think the steel on the blades is worth a crap on those things. And the very extreme angles that they, you know, a really severe angled mechanical broadhead is really hitting at a 45 or 50 degree angle into bone and stuff. And I think they get flattened. I think you're shooting them. uh, The broadhead blades get destroyed on impact to the point they can't lacerate the internal organs efficiently. And if anybody wants to debate that with me, I've had a cadaver and I studied how to keep people from dying with holes and disease processes in their chest. So I know what it takes to kill people, you know, kill anything walking through thoracic damage. So if the broadhead does not break the first set of ribs sharp, God help you. Yeah, you're in trouble. And, you know, we need to we need to get into I'm, I'm very you know, I want to get into your experiences with like getting through hide first and foremost and what that does to your energy and then once you get through that then you have obviously your bones going to be in the equation we're trying to you know shoot between ribs none of us you must you must assume 100 percent bone impact every time every you time. should not assume anything else and then you got the stuff you want to put holes in and cause hypovolemic shock and get the container to leak. And uh, for a guy like me, I I, I kind of like two holes, to be honest. I don't really – not really into one hole. I like two holes. I like blood on the ground. I don't like tracking. I hate tracking, especially with a, a lousy blood trail. It's not, I'm not into it. So we, I want to talk about all that. But, you know, this uh, Zoom recorder is telling me I have a time limit today, which I've never had before. So we're going to pause for a second, and I got to resend you a new invitation where I don't have a limit. That's my bad. I don't know. I've never had that happen before. So no, I had it happen a couple of times. I don't know what that is. So just punch out and then send it to me and I'll punch right back in. Buck knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. My neighbor in 2020, I completely buried a knife into my hand and it was not a fixed blade. It was one of those scalpel replaceable ones that break real easy. And I buried it so deep that I actually, the doctor recommended surgery, which I might've should have listened, but I didn't. Anyways, several stitches later in a week of elk hunting down the drain, I got my hand healed up. Since that day, I've vowed not to use scalpels anymore in the field. And so I've switched back to buck knives, tried and true since 1902, made in America, tremendous amount of history. They're also my everyday carry. So you should check out the new everyday carry 22 lineup from Buck Knives. They got the 110 Slim Pro TXR. That's probably my all-time favorite for everyday carry. You can also check out the 110 Hunter Sport Knife or the 112 Ranger 50th Anniversary Edition. If you're looking for a skinner, I would maybe consider the customizable 113 Ranger Skinner Knife. That's the knife that I customize for all my Elk Shape Camp, Spirit of Elk Shape Camp Awards, and that's the knife that we use to skin all my elk in 2021. If there's a knife out there that you need, they can customize it or you can peruse their website. Buck Knives is a huge supporter of Elk Shape. We appreciate them and we love 
love being their neighbor. Please be careful when you're breaking down your animal and consider switching to a fixed blade just for me. Crispy USA. Crispy boots. My favorite boots because they don't require any break-in, period. For stocking any animal out west, it's Laponia GTX. This is a very affordable boot. This is not a $500 boot. It's very athletic and it's a quiet boot and it's definitely something that could help you sneak in tighter to animals. So if you're a stalker, you might want to check out Laponia GTX. If you're looking for another affordable boot that's perfect for elk hunting, it's the Colorado GTX. I know cameraman Jake and myself, that's our both our favorite number one boot from Crispy. It's the one that gets the most use and two is one. I have two pairs because I like to switch out boots every day. The Colorados are not insulated, which is great for me to keep my feet from sweating. It has board-lasting mechanical construction. It includes the ABSS ankle support system, which helps propel you forward. It's got a four-flex rating. They're protected with Kevlar triple stitching, polyurethane coated, and leather rand. The height is eight inches, and one boot weighs under two pounds. They're super light, they're fast, they're very athletic to help you keep up with elk. The last thing I want to mention about boots is, number one, all your hunting starts from the ground up. Choose wisely. Number two, consider putting sheep feet inside any pair of boots that you rock. Sheep feet are a full-length custom orthotic built for your feet specifically. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off your purchase. I run sheep feet in every piece of boot I wear. I obviously have several pairs of boots, but the sheep feet are always in there. I think they help me leak less energy every stride, every step. They keep my feet strong and durable. And the last thing I would want for any of you hunting is to have foot issues while trying to hunt. Hunt your best. Include sheep feet on your must list for 2022. Okay, let me steer this straight down the pipe, Troy. Let's build an arrow setup for out west elk i know you haven't elk hunted yet but dude elk are tough um, oh i've elk hunted four times i'm just the worst elk hunter ever oh. i had a gila 16 c tag which is super Bro. awesome and they said all oh, the elk left at one time oh. so yeah i've been that's why i say it's really hard let's let's do this let's build an arrow for elk hunters um and obviously like Let's build somebody for like my specs, just because I've basically never shot. I've shot Hoyt and Matthews my whole life. I, I currently shoot for Matthews. Um, Matthews makes a seventy-five pound bow. That's the that's the most poundage that they'll make. That's what I shoot. I, I have a short draw length is twenty-seven. But all the ladies out there and any you know, I don't think a lot of people pull the poundage like seventy-five. Um, when I had Hoyts, I always had them twisted up to eighty-five pounds. I've always shot a heavy, heavy pound bow to kind of make up for some energy that I don't have in a draw length. I don't store as much energy, but let's build me some bullets or someone like me. Let's kind of work our way through the process, your process, because I like your process. Uh, it's got a lot of details to it and you're hitting the majors. Let's start with just picking out, pick, give us some arrow options from a shaft standpoint. Uh, I'm just going to go grains per inch. First of all, do not buy a full metal jacket and do not buy a carbon express arrow because their spine chart is backwards and a 250 is a 400 spine and you'll be shooting a freaking banana. Full metal jackets have the hit insert and that's the worst thing on the planet earth for impact. I've got the pictures to prove it and I've got the sadness to prove it. I'm going to recommend uh, for if, if I'm out, I've already sent you the arrows, by the way, so we're done. You just watch my video. <laughs> So I'm going to go by grains per inch. So I would not, I would have you in a 250 spine arrow right off the bat. I would cut it to the front of the riser, whatever length that is, probably 28. You have a 27 inch draw. Yep. Just so you don't cut your fingers off. And I would uh, have a great, uh, mass grains per inch under 11. So I would have a moderately light shaft. Yeah. I am not a huge fan yet of micros. Um, they have some scientific reasons that they are probably a premium shaft for aeroflight. 
but I've not been a huge fan of some of the outsearch systems and I haven't shot everything. So cut me some slack on that. Everybody out there listening. I haven't shot every year out, out there, but I've bent a lot of outsert systems because they do sit on the end of the arrow. So if you're shooting micros, don't freaking, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You'll be fine. But um, there's a reason why I do not shoot four mils. And it's because the only way I would, would be to use a Snyder core system that iron will bill rigged up. Besides that, all other componentry, I'm sure there's some exceptions and I'm sure people will make sure I'm, I'm aware after this, but, but for the majority, it's all garbage componentry and for that pain in the ass, I refuse to shoot a four millimeter. Right. I've had trouble getting them to line up and get them to square and not have them spin. And so remember part of my, you know, I, I really am thinking about Joe Lunchbucket too, who's two hours from my bow shop and I want him to be able to build things. So Yep. Simple inserts are better for somebody who doesn't have access down the street. And so I put you in a mid, you know, a 204 with a decent outsert system, or we just came out with the half jacket system for the serious ranch fair arrows. And I'm not trying to really advertise my stuff, but I haven't pushed for sleeves ever. I've just in the ranch fair arrows that we sell on Sirius. I've always had the half out, which just screws, you just screw it in, it's in the front. And the reason is the bending rate that I've experienced from the sleeves to the half out has been the same. So why would I upgrade and pay for, once again, Joe Lunchbucket, why would I ask somebody who's like the rest of us to spend extra money on something that doesn't show me extra performance? If you're going to throw a 250 grain out, you know, insert in there, then maybe you're doing that for the mass. I got that. If you're going Cape Buffalo hunting or something. Okay. I would put you, your arrows would be just what you saw. I would have you in a hundred grain out, you know, insert. And I like them one for the mass two because they're long. So you get good adhesion inside, which tends to make them more durable. And then I'd have you in a 200 grain broadhead. I'd have you right at 600 grains because the math on at 60 yards, the kinetic energy values. I showed this on at your camp. That was that was the middle. I did a I did a subset. I did a set of arrows from 388 to 718, which is what I shoot. And the best energy at longer ranges was between 575 and 650. So I'd put you in the middle. Yep somewhere around 600 and it has the fly perfect also because i shoot the ezv site you will never experience this with pins or with a with a slider because your tapes will cheat and lie to you not lie to you you just never see it it's not a lie back up troy the ezv site's based on speed and you can flip out that's what i shoot and you can flip out the inserts for the speed of the projectile that you're shooting. So you just run it through a chronograph and go, okay, I'm shooting 250 feet per second, put the 250 in. At 600 grains, I had to increase the speed of my insert because the, the parabola the shaft is flying on was more consistent over distance. It wasn't slowing down. I went to a 3D range I shoot all the time and was hitting things high. 
beyond 35. So the easy V is basically, and I saw those years ago, they're like, you don't have pins. You have like basically like, think of a, a narrow V, not a wide V, but a narrow V down the middle of the site housing with little ticks. And basically it works similar to that. Your pins, like obviously the higher up, the closer the shot is, the lower down in the V, the further the shot. And you don't have to basic, like you wouldn't really need a rangefinder, right? No, you don't, you don't need a rangefinder once you figure it out. After about 50, you don't need a rangefinder. You learn how much, this is how I describe it. You learn how much meat goes in the V and you shoot and your brain does the math. It's like instinctive with a reference. It's crazy once you do it. But because that is a speed-based system and I matched the speed because I have a lab radar. So I shot it at launch. I matched the speed and I started shooting high. This is going to make people's heads swell a little bit, but you just have to get over it. This is a mathematical aerodynamic fact. I said it earlier and I misquoted. When you double the speed, the drag goes up four times. In archery, we reduce the mass to go faster. And the drag goes up four times. Well, not four times, but if you double the speed, the drag goes up 4x, given the same projectile. That's in meat as well. Okay. If you slow it down and make it heavy, which is ballistic coefficient, which is mass over drag, the mass keeps pushing against the atmosphere. And it doesn't, because it's going slower and it's heavier, and it doesn't drag as much. So the reason why I would say somewhere around 600 for you is you would have this very consistent flight. If you look at your buddy's pins right now, who shoots a 425 grain arrow, the bottom pins are really opening up. That's drag. That's pure aerodynamic drag. And if you shoot something around 575 to 610, but it has to fly perfect, you'll see those pin gaps become consistent. It's like playing golf, but all the clubs are the same length. Dochambeau is the only guy who does that. But um, if you had the same length golf clubs all the time, it wouldn't feel weird. You wouldn't have to get used to all the changes up and down the damn set, right? No, and and I'm not – I'm following, I'm tracking what you're saying. And the best, maybe this isn't the best. In my mind, the analogy that I took away from your lecture, and keep in mind, I'm not going to shoot a 600 grain arrow, but I'm certainly, certainly going to promote heavier than lighter in in an imperfect world, in an imperfect sport on elk. I'm, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm going to be in your corner. A Ferrari going 200 miles per hour runs into a brick wall versus let's just say for easy math, a Mack truck loaded down going a hundred miles an hour running into that same brick wall. The Mack truck's probably going to be able to run through a brick wall again afterwards. That Ferrari is going to explode. The, the biggest takeaway I had from your lecture was like, that small, the lightest arrow was so, so pathetic at 60 yards when you're talking about the actual foot pounds, the momentum versus the slower arrow. And but the mass, don't forget, you're, you're slow because of the mass. Exactly. So you're trading off 
downrange delivery delivered on meat energy for the velocity. But like I said, don't miss this. And whoever's listening to this, don't miss this. The reason why I said about 600 grains through my own experience. And also I've got friends that shoot six, seven, 800 grain arrows commonly. They just get used to it and they're done. And their pin gaps are about the same over distance. You don't have this crowded group 20, 30, 40. And then all of a sudden they start opening up and your gap between 70, 60 and 70 is three or four times what it is between 40 and 50. It's pure aerodynamic drag. And somewhere around 575 or 600 that all the gaps are the same. They're very, they're not perfectly the same, but they're very consistent. And I think, okay, in a stressful situation. (laughs) Yeah, here we go. And I'm sorry, but an elk at 70, you're going to have a lot of room over the top and the bottom of the elk if your gaps are really wide. And you're going to be guessing. You're going to be guessing. So I would think, okay, I don't shoot pins. I think it would be better for your brain to see the same picture every time instead of four different pictures. Certainly, certainly. Well, let's go back to this arrow that you're building me because I'm intrigued. 250 spine, 28 inches, sticks off the shelf a little so it doesn't cut my hand. The grain per inch is going to be under 11. It's a 204 inside diameter. You put a 100 grain insert and a 200 grain broadhead. Mr. Ranch Ferry, what kind of broadhead are we? Are we going to go a single bevel? Are we going to do a double bevel? Are we going to do the Ranch Ferry three blade? What are you putting on my arrow? You're building me this arrow for elk. Onyx Hunt, this is the number one digital hunting application. I take it with me everywhere I go on my phone. Download your maps ahead of time and you know differences between state, BLM, national, private. You know where roads are at, terrain features. You can do all your e-scouting from a desktop via the desktop version and have all those waypoints and information transferred to your phone. Having a tremendous amount of confidence that it's not going to crash in the backcountry when you need it most and that you are legally hunting where you're allowed. The Elite membership will allow you to get free access to Hunt Reminder. This is a great app that will notify you when draw deadlines are approaching so that you never miss a deadline. You also get access to Top Rut, which has arguably the best draw odds in the business. And if that wasn't enough, you also get access to Hunt and Full, their digital publication with each state breakdown and analysis so you can plan your hunts ahead of time. All this for $99 plus when you enter the discount code ELKSHADE, it'll take 20% off. Wilderness Athlete. This is a supplement company, not a marketing company. The difference being these guys spend their dollars reinvesting into product development. And I have been partnered with them for a very long time. They just came out with their new hero, which is hydrate, energize, recharge, and overcome. All you have to do is add water. Make sure you pick up a couple boxes of those for elk hunting season, as well as hydrate, recover, energy, and focus, the green infusion, daily multis, fish oils, probiotics, protein powder, post-workout, pre-workout, whatever you need, whatever the goal, wildernessathlete.com. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE30 to save 30% off your first purchase. Baku e-bike elite fat tire e-bikes to help elevate your game. I use the mule. People ask me, why do I not use the storm? Because I hunt out west and I need the extra wattage to get up steep terrain. Find a dealer near you by heading to Baku.com for a quick little demo ride to see for yourself. Or get yourself a backcountry e-bike, a trailer, an extra battery. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save $300 off your purchase. And utilize these e-bikes when you're chasing turkeys, bear, deer, elk, any sort of trail, logging road. Where legal, they are an awesome resource for you to get in and get out quietly. And if you have a trailer, hopefully you're hauling precious elk meat back to the truck. Black Rifle Coffee Company. I am a huge fan of coffee. Probably guilty of maybe drinking too much, but I love Black Rifle. 
It's my alternative to Starbucks. These folks at Black Rifle are pro hunting, pro 2A, veteran owned. I can tell you right now, you guys should check out the coffee club. Join the club and you're going to get free shipping on your club orders. Automatic deliveries on your schedule so you can program it for when coffee should arrive at your doorstep. You'll get exclusive discounts from over 50 plus partner brands and you can always tweak, tinker, or modify your subscription at any time to suit your fancy. My favorite all time is the Flying Elk. That should be no surprise. Black Rifle is a huge partner of Elk Shape. They support our message of crushing the elk hunting learning curve and leveraging elk hunting. Check out Black Rifle Coffee Club of the Month. Enter the discount code Elkshape, save 15% off and enjoy America driven coffee from a better known company. I would, I would, I would have you shooting because you're elk hunting and because you like to call, I would have you shooting a single elk because of the highest percentage chance of an elk don't walk in backwards. <laughs> it's that simple, man. Watch videos, watch how many quartering in shots people get on bulls that they've called and you get this dream shot at 17 yards at a big six by you've been hunting and he's quartering in and you decide to shoot him back and hope you're really not helping your recovery rates, shooting them back. You're better off shooting them quartering in with a single bevel and getting half an arrow right into the chest area and into the heart and lungs where you will cut all the major arteries off the heart. than you are shooting completely through and back. You are going to, their stomachs are humongous and you're just going to gut shoot the damn thing. It's just a physiologic fact. When, when an animal, when, it, when an, any animal is quartering to you, the offside lung is tilted away. It's just a fact. They sit side by side. Okay. Just imagine in your head that you're looking at a, a bull elk facing you. The lungs are side by side and then quarter them a little bit. The left lung sticks out a little bit. The liver's back there, but only if you hit them on the left side, because livers don't sit in the middle. That's a fact, too. That's a fact. Okay. So you one lung, a big bull, you shoot them through the guts, and they have some long-ass legs, brother. And they can go. You know, Troy, a lot of the – so calling elk is something I don't do much anymore. The majority of the elk I choose to shoot are unaware that I'm there. And I've found that to be, that's just my jam. But I grew up hunting North Idaho. You only can call. You're not going to see them, spot them, stock them, nothing. Oh, because it's so thick. It's so thick. And um, so a lot of the elk that I kill were solo calling in. And wouldn't you know, Troy was right. They never came in backwards. But here's the, the, to your point, I've shot a lot of elk that I thought were broadside. And come to find out, they're actually quartering to just enough to where you're not getting a double lung shot. And you don't know that until you finally recover your elk. And then you're like, well, shoot, dang, this this thing wasn't actually standing perfectly broadside. And these elk have a knack for, it's almost like they're well aware of where their vitals are at. And they don't want to get speared by another bull. And you just, you're sounding like another bull and you're picking a fight. You know what I'm saying? So I'm with you on penetration is going to be very, very, very important for elk hunting based on shot selection and shot selection isn't always going to be perfect. Yeah. That's why I would shoot something I could shoot forward. Okay. I would shoot what I handed out at the I would be I would be hunting with 715 with a long tough head. If when I go elk hunting, that's and I'm just gonna give up 40. I'm gonna take the trade. Yes. I talked to Snyder about that. I'm not gonna shoot 60. Okay, fair enough. Once again, you and I discussed discipline, making choices. Okay. 
But if one steps on me at 15 with a 715 grain arrow on that broadhead, I'm shooting him right on the point of the shoulder with the damn thing. I, I got no problems with it. I'm going to go lower one third and I'm going to aim right at his heart and I'm going to let it eat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now let's take me through the process, Troy. You've handed me these, uh, Apollo arrows up they were or the serious that's, that's the brand I should. Yep. Okay. So you, you, you were, t- we're hanging out. You got me my dozen. We're going to, we're going to, we got everything glued on except for the veins on the back end. We got the they'd insert. Be bare, they'd be bare shafted. They'd be let's, bare shafted. Let's go to the paper. Let's run it. Now we're assuming my bow is perfectly tuned, which it is. I have MFJJ in my corner. Plus I don't suck it. Right. And we can always tweak, we can always tweak the bow. Right. So, but I'm gonna. I I don't want to tweak my bow. Like what? I don't want to drop poundage to get the right. You know, to, I want to tune, tune, tune this bow and be spitting out. You know, remember I'm I'm paranoid. I want as much energy. Okay, you're taking, so you're gonna shoot all twelve bear shafts. Yes, with you. We're we're gonna what twist that knock until we get bullet holes at seven yards, eighteen yards, seven what? yards, seven, seven yards. yards. Okay. Yep. <laughs> And how much are we going to move that knock, Troy? Like, let's say I get a shitty tear the very first shot. Are we turning at 90 or even less than that? No, you're going to shoot it again because you're a human. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So if you get a really bad tear, um, then we're going to shoot it again. Anything over maybe an inch, you know, it looks bad. We're going to shoot it again because you're human. Okay. And... We're going to rotate the knocks and we're going to get them down to inside of about a quarter inch. Perfect bullet holes are really um, kind of a ghost. You'll see a lot of pictures of them on one arrow. Yeah. But the shaft is actually wobbling back and forth. And you have nobody knows this. So you get a good high speed camera to know this. At launch, the shaft is actually going wah, 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 back and forth. Yeah. It's bending. So I try to get them down to about a, under a half an inch tear, which isn't much bigger than the knock, right? It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's close. It's, it's a 204 shaft and 0.5 is a half an inch. So, you know, we're right there. So, but I don't want it. I, I will mess with knock tune to try to get it to go as close to perfectly down the middle as possible. And knock tuning is black magic, man. Yep. You can get a shaft that's that's absolutely tearing high and turn the knock and it'll tear low. It'll make your head spin. It's awesome. Yeah. So that's our first step, right? Right. So you have 12 unfledged. That's why I hate getting arrows. Because now that I know, I can't go back. I no. can't. I can't just take flesh arrows and shoot them anymore. I can't. Because we'll talk about the broadheads in a minute. The trick is... You're putting a lifting device on the front. I showed that I had that shaft that I had fletched on the front. Yeah. And everybody laughed out loud. But it's and I awesome. Said, that's a, Listen, I said, that's a fixed blade broadhead. You have to explain this to the listeners because it really is an awesome explanation. Go for it. Okay. So let me back up before we go. So we're going to shoot all 12. We're going to get them as damn close as we can. you got to accept you're human. You can't get too OCD on me. Or we'll have to wrestle or something. Okay. You're going to have to take your medication or whatever the hell and get them all <laughs> as close as you can. Okay. Yep. Now you shoot an arrow, you get it as close as you can and you mark it. You've seen those shafts are marked. The knock tune is marked. Now that's my knock tune. So it may not fly for your bear shaft, honestly. 
but they're as good as I can send you matching. Okay. You mark the, the knock and you mark the shaft and that's your knock tune. And then I also mark them about 12 inches down on the shaft in case it wears off the back. Yes. That way, if you want to put lighted knocks in, which I don't like for long range shooting because they're very inconsistent and sloppy and they're inaccurate. But if you choose to shoot lighted knocks, you can put them in the same position. Okay. So the reason why you're trying to get the shafts as close as possible to launch the same is because you're getting ready to put a wing on the front. And at elk shape camp, I had, I fletched the front of a shaft and it had fletchings on the rear. And I said, would this fly? And everybody laugh their ass off at me. It had a, even had a field point in it. It just make it more ridiculous. So it was a punch point, four blade broadhead. Yep. But they didn't see it. And I said, brother, that's a fixed blade broadhead. And you said, you, I saw everybody's face melt because they, they were like, that's ridiculous. You put a wing on the front. It was awesome. Yeah, that's exactly the reaction I was looking for. No, it's such a good setup. I'll, uh, I'll have to get a picture of that post it, but yeah, that, 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 there it is. You're steering a chunk of metal and this chunk of metal, the, the lifting and basically almost like the yin and yang between the back and the front end arrows are crazy. Troy, there's so much going on there. Once they leave your butt going on and the conceptually, the best way to think about it is it's more like a tire iron. So imagine a four way tire iron. Mm-hmm. And when you take the nut off, you push on one end and you pull on the other. Okay. That is a better conceptual con- idea of how arrows fly than thinking that fletchings drag in the air, which they don't. They do, but they don't. I'm not going to go into that and make, make your freaking head spin. The easier concept is that tire iron. The, the broadhead is pushing in the atmosphere. And the ass ends pushing in the atmosphere. And it's a war. It's like the tire iron. It's rocking back and forth all the way down range. If the shafts are not super consistent arrow to arrow to arrow to arrow, then one will launch and bend one way. That's why it tears right. And the next one will launch and bend left and tear left. And that wing is up front and your tire iron wobbles in different directions at launch. And that's why your fixed blade broadheads don't fly. 100%. And when you underspine, God help you. Yep. You're in trouble. Because the arrows are bending like a banana coming off the bow right at launch. You are sending the broadhead in a significant bend to the side. It bites into the atmosphere and the fletchings say, whoa, hey, you sorry bastard. I'm going to steer you back. And they fight and they don't dampen very quickly. And God help you on impact too. They, mm-hmm. but they, they flex like a, all of them flex. That's why a stiffer shaft is usually better at impact because they don't tend to flex as much. Troy, have you messed around with like, um, like I have a spine tester, like from Ram and, uh, it's, it's a thing. It's more time consuming than anything, but have you messed around with like trying to find the stiffest spot of your arrow 
before bear shaft tuning and checking your tolerances and straightness before, or do you just kind of skip that foreplay and get right to bear shafting? I think the people, I think we're part of the problem. And I, I, I think I, I have not messed with a Ram tester because I don't think it matters because you're smashing an arrow from the ass and it's pretty close. And I don't always know that you want to know where stiff is because it may shoot upside down. Yep. So I, I do know this. I have bought, I have had somebody sent me a bunch of spinal line arrows. I don't remember who it was. People send me crap all the time. So I shot, I, they came flesh. So I stripped all the fleshings off. Cause I can't, I can't, I can't, I right. can't do it. And, uh, three shot on the spine alignment and three shot upside down for me. Okay. And I think that's the misconception in arrow tuning and bear shafting is we're not taking the human piece into this. Turner's freaking talk was awesome. His presentation style is fantastic. Yeah. And on the shot IQ stuff, right? And he's all about your, you know, your mechanics. And he's trying to help people get consistent mechanics. And he was making my point. I didn't talk about this, right? I was just sitting there going, I'm right. You've got to shoot your own arrows and you've got to shoot your bow. Because not everybody's the same. Yeah, and there's not every bow's the same. The cam orientation is going to be slightly different. The human influence. I can't bear shaft. I don't know. Somebody sent me a bow. I, I can't get it to bear shaft for me. My son shoots it like a freaking, like he was built for it. Yeah, yeah. And he can shoot bear shafts with it. I can't. I, I stopped playing with it. I, I was twisting the strings and getting all kind of crazy. I don't do that crap. It, it, I don't need that crap. It bothers me. He can just shoot the lights out with it because he holds it different or whatever. And he's the same size as I am. He can shoot my bows. I mean, we're 28 and a half in draw. He, he, he's not out of, he's not way back or too short or anything. He's about long as I am and everything. Tell he, he, you know, he's my kid. And um, so I, I, I just think we're trying to uh, engineer the humans out of it. And I don't, you can't, it's not possible. Once you've seen it, people do it. The, the highest majority of bow hunters are shooting whatever the hell off the shelf and they're getting away with it. But once you've done it, you can't, you just, you can't, I can shoot five different broadhead platforms on my bow because the arrows are tuned and they fly, all fly the three blade the two blade the big tough head i shoot freaking wide broadheads when i was really testing a lot of different stuff they all fly 40 yards that's how far i shoot them they would fly 60 if they'll fly 40 i'd see it that and then the uh stupid calculators that are on the internet and some of the arrow companies just say put your input your specs and we got the perfect error for you. <laughs> I laugh my butt off. You, you're, you're telling me they've shot every bow platform at every draw length at every draw weight with every arrow on earth. And they can tell you how it works. And that's a biggest BS ever, but you don't know that if you're, you don't have a mind like mine, I have a place 15 minutes from here. I can go shoot arrows and I occasionally sit here and go, I don't understand that. And I just go out there. And I put up paper and I try to figure it out. 
And sometimes it takes days. But I'm just curious like that. I want to know the truth. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Well, let's move on to this. Okay, so we've bear shafted tune. Um, we we want to get to the real deal. So let's talk about putting weight on the back end. Like uh, Two inch long four fletch, done. There's no steering. If you're steering, if you think you're steering, your shafts are no good. So we're looking for stability, stabilization, and flight. We're looking actually to not slow the arrow down, ironically, for me to say that. Perfect. I think that's a better way to say it. Yeah. If you put a big four-fletch on there, a four-inch long four-fletch, because you think you're going to stabilize the broadhead, you're sucking the wind out of it. And I shoot the most inefficient thing out there. I shoot feathers. I've done the math. I've done the lab radar. They're the slowest. They put the most, uh, you know, drag on them of any platform out there. And people are like, well, what the hell would you do that for? Because they weigh 1.5 grains a piece. A normal vein weighs six. I've just taken 20 grains off the back of my arrow. I've reduced the mass created forward to center and created a more stable projectile aerodynamically by taking the mass off the ass. That's why I don't like lighted knocks. I do. I shoot them at pigs because it's 17 yards and it's good for video. Okay. But when I go elk hunting and when I went nail guy hunting, when we were spot stalking, no way I'm not shooting lighted knocks. No way I'm shooting a 700 pound animal with a lighted knock. I'm not putting any, any weight on the tail at all. I'm putting the least amount of weight I can. Now, having said that, um, when I go elk hunting again, I will shoot light veins because it's practical. So I'm not that outrageous. It rains. You're beating the crap out of your equipment. Veins are a little more durable, right? Yeah. So from a practicality standpoint, see, I'm not that irrational. No, I, I totally get it. So four versus three on the back end. Do you think there's a one's a little better than the other? in general, or does it still come down to the end user? Oh, I, the reason why I shoot four fletches for follow-up shots. So they're a little more stable. You gain one fletch to give you more of that. You want the back end steering more than the front. If, okay. I didn't clarify that when you're messing with your tire iron, you do want the tail doing more work. That's why it needs to be light because it has the ability to be steered by the front. It whips around more. You actually want that because it will stabilize the front. You want something to win. You do not want your balance point in the dead center where both point, both parts of the arrow can equally steer like a weather vane. You do not want that. I'm glad you said that. Okay. That, that, that is a good way to, I wish we could do visual because it's so cool to see an arrow in slow it down frame by frame by frame the high speed camera i i don't think people realize what all an arrow is doing in flight it's like you said the tire iron is a great analogy but you got a picture of that thing being i mean it's everything's moving as it moves it's crazy oh no, um, yeah and so here's another thing i talked about and i had the big jake arrow so next time i do a presentation with y'all. I'll be better prepared. I, I, you always walk out of those and go, damn it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should have, should have, should have. Yeah. But 
So just to make your head spin even more, the shaft, the, with the minute you hit, you, you punch the trigger, Turner loves that. Yeah. The minute you punch the trigger, the ass of the arrow starts moving and the front is not moving because the shaft bends. It eventually catches up. Now this happens in milliseconds, but nonetheless, this is a fact. The arrow bends, comes off. God help you if you're not shooting helical. You're insane, but whatever. The arrow starts rotating and bending in a 360 degree rotation. It is bending and rolling. Just get that in your head. If that doesn't happen the same way every time as it comes off the string, your broadheads are going to go all over the place. It's bending and rolling and continuously bending and continuously rolling until it stabilizes, which I don't think the bending ever stops. I think I read something where a guy studied that. He was a physicist or something. He said it was 100 yards before the shaft stopped bending. Man, I, I almost wouldn't doubt it. It'd be hard to doubt that or have an argument against that. Um, another thing you said at your lecture, and you know what, Troy? That This is what happened. I'm going to have to sign up for like an official Zoom account because April 27th, 2022, I just looked this up. Zoom makes all meetings 40 minutes unless you pay them. Even for just one-on-one, -on -one, you bastard. So, you want to call me? You want to send me another one? Yeah, I do. I got I got four minutes left on this one. So, I'll, when we get back on, I want you to talk about how the arrow is always in flight, even as it's going. Like the arrow's always going. Oh, yeah. Even okay. Are you like me? Do you just love trail cameras? Slightly addicted to them? Yeah, guilty as charged. I work with SpyPoint. They have several affordable trail cameras. Some are going to be cellular. Some are going to be non-cellular. So the difference is being one, the Force Pro, non-cellular, very affordable, extremely reliable, just under $200. Or you can look up the Link S, that's the dark, or the micro LTE twin, where you get a two-pack of cellulars. They come with the SIM cards, so you don't need to pay out-of-pocket monthly to utilize your cellular trail cameras. You can download the free app and get your 100 photos a month that you choose. Cell trail cameras are where it's at, where legal, and where you have at least two bars. You're going to get extremely important real-time information, and you don't have to go in and disturb your area, get your scent the ground and bump any animals. I like trail cameras from a biological standpoint. I don't really depend on them to get animals killed, but I do depend on them to understand animal behavior, biology, animal densities, and see if I can focus on patterns where I can take advantage and know how to get in and get out of these places. So I am addicted to trail cams. I love the app. It's bulletproof from SpyPoint. So check out SpyPoint when you get a hot minute or next time you're in the market for a trail camera. If you're looking for cellular, I'm probably going to recommend the Link S Dark over all of them. But if you're on a budget, get the Link Micro Twin 2-pack where you have two cell phone trail cameras working for you under $200. Or if you just want to run normal trail cameras, check out the Force Pro. There's a couple different versions out there. I use the Force Pro or the Force 20. Both are really sweet. And then last but not least, if you already have a trail camera and you want to turn it into a cell phone trail camera, they have a product for you called the Cell Link. $59.99 attaches to your existing trail camera. You don't have to have a SIM card and it will start sending you photos to your phone. Check out spypoint.com for more information. Vortex Optics, a partner of Elkshape since 2010. Veteran known, based out of Wisconsin. The VIP warranty itself that's transferable. Whether you buy your Vortex Optics used from a buddy or buy it retail from a store, that VIP warranty follows your product. No questions asked. You break it, they fix it. We're going to give you guys a quick little tip. Being a handful of months away from elk season, 
one thing you can do right now, and this tip is presented by Vortex, is that you can start writing on the calendar your hunt plan, the dates that you plan on leaving, so that your wife or your spouse knows what you're thinking ahead of time. Sounds silly, but I used to not communicate very well with my wife and then surprise her right at hunting season and then, hey, I'm going to be gone the entire month. Not anymore. Now, as soon as I draw a tag or have a hunt plan secured, I'm up on the calendar writing it down and going over with it. Even though she's probably gnashing her teeth a little bit at me, at least it gives her plenty of time to plan around and make sure that we are on the same page. Happy wife is a happy life and to hunt your best, things need to be dialed at home. This tip was brought to you by Vortex. Go to Vortex Wear and use the discount code Elkshape to save 20% on your workout scouting gear that Vortex Wear makes. Appreciate you guys' support. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, Wisconsin, rocking the V3X29 and 33. I think you guys know this by now, but I'm pretty much in love with that 29. It fits me like a glove. I like the 33. It's probably my favorite bow to shoot, but when we're talking about chasing elk in the elk woods, I'm going to pack that 29 around. Fits me a little bit better. I shoot it a little bit better. You should go test drive a V3X. I think it's their best product to date, and you can really streamline your setup by using the bridge lock to get the sight in the middle of the riser. You have the new Low Pro quivers that fit tighter than anything has ever fit to a bow. You can really streamline your setup with the new technology from Matthews. Plus, they run the cross centric cams, so you can easily switch out mods. You don't have to switch out limbs if you want to change your draw weight, your draw length, or your let off. All that can be done without a press. Matthews Archery, killing it. And I love shooting my Matthews. I'm absolutely in love. You guys should go check it out at a dealer near you. As we were, this will be the last round. So let's get as much in as we can. Here we go. Troy, talk to me about an arrow never stops flying. That whole idea, that whole premise really resonated with me. Okay. So that's Dr. Ed's comment. And then the tire iron idea is actually the rocket man. I like to give credit where credit is due because I'm not smart, but I surround myself with smart people and it makes me smarter. So Dr. Ed has this, you know, Dr. Ed said this in the study and I've talked to him at length about this. He's obviously on the foundation with me or obviously head of the foundation. I go hang out with him all the time. And God, he's so much, so fun to hang out with professional hunter and killed two rhinos with a bow and he's, just the best. So a real bow, not a compound bow, a real bow. Oh yeah. Nine capes, nine cape Buffalo with a bow. I don't think he shot an elephant. And ironically, I'll get back to the point on, but um, at the end of the, his, the, the tall study, it was 27 years long that he, you know, put up at, on our, you know, this, the actual study at the end of the study, he actually recommended against hunting pachyderms. Um, so rhinos and elephants with a bow and arrow, because he thought it was unsafe at that time. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Even though he killed two rhinos with a bow, he still said it was too dangerous for average people to go, you know, pay whatever to go hunt rhinos and then have somebody get stomped. So um, back to the point. So an arrow is always a flying. I'm going to tie a few scientific concepts, math with this, but uh, I've said this on multiple podcasts. <laughs> most clearly first published by the hunting public is that bow hunting begins at impact. We study camouflage and back bars and sites that would cost a million dollars and trying to figure out how to, you know, look great out there and go hunting and all that crap. <clears throat> and we study, uh, there's a lot of chatter, mostly because the top bow hunters in the world who are on TV and stuff, the highest percentage of them are target people who've become bow hunters or maybe we're always bow hunters, but they're target people, 3d spots, whatever. Okay. So the highest level of knowledge we have shooting an arrow is to shoot it into a target. So the heaviest amount of study in the bow hunting world is flying the arrow to the target. Everybody just assumes it's going to work after it hits the target because when they shoot 3d it hits the target it's a it's a terrible misconception so 
the arrow in the air impacts nothing. Assuming it's flying good and the broadhead's fine and everything's going on target and you've actually put a good shot and you're not freaking out and everything's going on target. It's just impacting air, which is a relatively homogeneous uh, substance, mostly nitrogen, you know, 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, trace gases, blah, blah, blah. Heavily studied aerodynamics, rockets, model rockets, heavily studied. We know a ton about flying stuff in the air. The separation between Dr. Ed's study and the rest of all of bow hunting, which is a terrible phrase to use, most of us should say archery, is he studied what happens when it hits something because the arrow is always flying, whether that's in the air, it's still flying in meat. It didn't stop flying at all. So all this bending and rolling and mechanical broadhead sucking 40 foot pounds of kinetic energy out of the, out of the arrow. The minute it hits something, it's still flying. It's just flying through something that's much more dense and completely unpredictable. You cannot shoot between the ribs. The asshats out there who published that stuff and somebody has actually published that they should shoot between the ribs. What? Somebody sent me who in the hell hasn't seen or cleaned a deer. It's pretty difficult. You have to shoot perfectly vertical with a two blade broadhead to never hit the ribs. And they got to be standing broadside. So when it hits the animal, it's still flying. It's just hit something hard. Again, we're back to four X, the two X speed, multiply the speed is four X drag. You've just hit something immensely harder and significantly less consistent than air. And it creates a massive amount of drag but it's still flying. So should the impact on target X of unknown density and what it will hit as it goes through the target, Y, be at an angle or something, and the ass of the arrow goes any direction other than straight forward, it is going to lever out of a, it's going to lever in a different direction because it's a long stick and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Yes, sir. So that's the, you know, the, the idea is we know a ton about flying it to the target and nobody talks about shooting it through the target. And that's why on your back to your arrow, I would have a one piece. You could shoot little bleeder blades if you wanted to. Incredibly sharp, high quality steel that won't erode. Broadhead. And I would have it have very low impact energy. So the arrow doesn't redirect and it, it keeps flying in the same direction that you intended to go. And that is key. And then you're going to be better off because the only thing you have going for you with an arrow is penetration. There's no hydrostatic shock. There's a couple of broadhead companies out there that say they have some kind of vacuum being created behind the broadhead and all that crap. The FBI has studied this and uh, cavitation does not occur below 2,300 feet per second. This is why handguns are generally annoying yes. in the real world. They're yes. kind of, they're not exactly, you know, a 44 Magnum or something with a huge slug or something is impractical to shoot around a lot. But if it hits something, it's going to cause major damage because the damn bullet's so big. But the FBI's published that. And they have every reason to, to want to know this stuff because they are in the, uh, you know, they might get in a situation with humans situation. 
So something going uh, 230 feet per second is about, you know, 10% of that last I checked. Yes. And uh, there's no cavitation and all that stuff. So all you have is penetration and cutting. I like it. Let's finish with a very sharp pointed broadhead and a sharp I want you to be as sharp as you were at your presentation. Uh, you basically said you should quit bunny, bow hunting if you, if you don't hunt with a sharp broadhead. So would you please quantify what a sharp broadhead is? If you can't quantify it, then just give us an objective. Like this is what a sharp broadhead is. Like maybe it can shave the hair off your arm. You're good to go. But like bottom line is I want people to listen to this and go, well, dang, I better not shoot a dull broadhead or a practice broadhead at a real animal unless uh, I, I just don't want to even consider that really. Well, I've had people, I, I have witnessed people shoot a target three times, put the broadhead back in the quiver. And that is absolute idiocy. You have, no matter what happened, you have reduced the broadhead's quality. Okay. So don't do that. And then I prefer, um, I've got a bunch of sharpening, you know, videos on my channel because it's an old fashioned old guy thing to actually sharpen your own broadheads and then strop your broadheads and make sure that the hair will jump. If it cuts it and lays it down on the, on the blade, it's pretty good, but the hair should jump. And I use paper most of the time. So I don't look like I got the mange and I shaved all the weird patches all over my body. <laughs> I'm not a super hairy dude. I wish I kind of was so I could have a bunch of really seriously crazy looking patches. Mrs. Fowler wouldn't think twice about it. She'd be like, he's an idiot. I've been 30 years. I, he's, a, he's still an idiot. <laughs> but I like him, so I'll keep him around. You know, I can't kill him now. It's too expensive. So um, I use uh, – so go to my channel and look at some of my sharpening videos. I use paper a lot. I use newspaper as the – my primary medium. And the only way I can describe it on newspaper is it should, you should be able to put it up against the newspaper and it should cut immediately. It shouldn't buckle at all. And then it, the difference between a perfect edge and a really good edge is the sound and you just got to experience it. So it'll make a, sh it'll make kind of sound that's very light. It'll be draggy and kind of chunky. And until you get it to the next level, you'll it all of a sudden will almost cut silently. And it, it's a feel thing. The noisier edge will work, but I've run them through bacon and then looked at them under a microscope. And it is when it's rough, it picks up material and caulks it. The, the meat and the connective tissues and the actually the inner wall of the uh, thorax is relatively elastic. And if that broadhead's rough, if the edge is kind, it'll shave. Okay. Don't get me wrong. It'll shave, but it's rough. It'll actually grab that stuff and it'll, it'll ride on the broadhead. Well, if half your broadhead's got meat covering it, that's half that's not cutting. It's, it's just very simple. It's just, it's that simple. And then the second part about it is I'm a high quality steel. So I'd have you in a one piece head. I sent you, I gave you a sentient evolution just to shoot and fling around. And I would have you in a head that's very durable like that. Something with one, maybe one, maybe one screw in it, but not a bunch. I'd have a very, cause you're shooting elk. Uh, I really don't think it applies to any, I think it applies to everything because deer shoulder blades are pretty thick and they jump around a lot, blah, blah, blah. Some of the stuff going on there. But should you hit something that you don't intend 
you want the highest chance. You want to reduce the variables. You do not want the broadhead to collapse or give up or become dull. And I've shot a, once I learned to sharpen very high quality steel broads, whether expensive, um, the, the, the distance the animals go is massively reduced. Blood trails are completely unpredictable. When they go 75, you can find them because you know which way they ran. And I guarantee you can cut half the distance and try to find them. And then they don't erode as much when they hit hard things. They're going to erode some. Snyder and I talked about this. It's a great concept he came up with. If you have a B-plus arrow system and it hits something hard and it, it erodes to a D, which is mostly the broadhead, you're at a D. If you have an A-plus arrow system and it erodes to a B-plus or a C, you're at a C, but you're that much better off. We don't know what that difference is, right? There's no delta there. There's no math. Just a conceptual idea that you want the best, highest quality broadhead on there that you could possibly get because it's either going to stay in static state or it's going to erode. There is nothing else a broadhead can do. Love That's it. it. So if it's a B minus sharpness and durability and really short blades, this is another thing I didn't get to touch on. It's one of those things I'm like, damn it, because I handed out the giant tough head. Right. Yeah. The broadhead I shoot and I shoot my evolution too. That's one reason why I like the three blade that we just came out with I'm promoting that because it's easy to sharpen. It's one piece. And so at least you would step up to an A plus system for durability, structural integrity and sharpness, right. From a whatever broadhead, but very long broadheads, uh, longer broadheads, which is not in vogue, short things for the fast bows so they don't lift as much. That's why they're shooting the short stuff. They have very tiny blades. The tough head's three and a half inches long. If it takes on 50% damage, I got an inch and a half of broadhead that's still sharp, okay? Let's say the front half gets wrecked. Hits the corner of the scapula, bounces off the spinal column, but the back half stays sharp or vice versa. It doesn't matter. Half the broadhead's sharp. If your blades are one inch long, and it takes on 50% damage, you got half an inch. Which one's got more cutting ability? And that goes back to some of the Ashby stuff where that three-to-one ratio. Right. It's, well, the three-to-one thing is being currently bantered about. There's a few people out there bashing around on it and trying to say it's wrong and all this stuff. And it's very simple. It's a long, thin, long it's, – it's still an inch and an eighth wide at the back, Okay. But it's a long, super efficient platform. So just think about nature, porcupine quills, the stingers on stingrays, teeth out of a freaking snake. Everything's long and skinny when it has to be practical. The survival of those animals depends on long and skinny. Sharp teeth are out of this because they're more like broadheads, but they've got pressure, astronomical amounts of pre biting pressure and jagged on the edges, and they're designed completely differently. But the three-to-one broadhead in the study, shooting things in weird places with a very slow bow, it's a long bow, we're currently doing testing with a compound, but it's not proving anything different. You know, we've only done one bunch of Cape Buffalo shots, more to come, blah, blah, blah. We'll keep going. 
um, in the study, when you're just testing a bunch of stuff and he had wide ones, he had, you know, skinny ones. We had the Zwicky and some other things. It, it just came out. It won. It just, it's, it's a thousand, it's a thousand animals shot. 113 data points per written down by hand. There was no Excel back then. <laughs> yeah. So that's just what came out. But as remember, it's a long, low angle of attack tool. The concept being like a wheelchair ramp. Now this is this is mechanic, this is mechanical engineering. So it's a little bit off track, but it's an easy concept for people. That's where the disconnect comes. There's a reason why wheelchair ramps are long and low angle of attack because it's easier to go up. It would be a lot cheaper to build one at a 50 degree angle with seven boards, but the amount of work it would take to push the person up would be astronomical. So it's not, we're not overreaching on the mechanical engineering side. We're trying to help people understand. And that's a pretty easy concept. Think about the blade angles of the mech. They're ridiculous. They're straight up. Think about the resistance of that compared to something that's built like a drill. And that's an interesting thing. We were talking to a guy who had a master's in mechanical engineering and a PhD in something else. He had never seen a, he'd never shot a bow and didn't, you know, he knew about archery like conceptually. And we showed him uh, the evolution and the tough head. And he goes, Oh, wow. That's a, and he called it some kind of a drill bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Just right off the top of the city. Yeah. That totally makes sense. It's got a, it's got a point to break just like a drill bit. And then it would rotate. And he, he was, we didn't, we didn't coach him. He just looked at it and goes, yeah, that's a drill bit. And he, he named it. I, I should have asked, written it down. He said, yeah, we make those all the time. We got a breaking point. You got that Tanto tip up front, which is, that's an Ed term. Ed made that up because he didn't know how else to describe the Tanto tip. And he goes, so you got a breaking point, just like a drill bit. And, you know, you got a flatter spot to do the work up front, get it going. And then you got this long drill bit and it rotates. Yeah, I get that. It's totally cool. And he thought it was like, cool. You know, like an engineer does, you know, <laughs> he wasn't a bow hunter at all. Right. And uh, they've just been, they've been super reliable for me. Like I said, I lost that one last year, but I shot him poorly. But the arrow skipped right through him and I had to go 20 yards to go find the arrow. I just shot bad. Damn thing didn't even die. He showed up at another feeder two weeks later. He ain't coming back to the one I shot him at. He's not, he's not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. I, I think that's cool. Well, Troy, I got to wrap things up. So I would love to hear, give us a tease on what we might see on the channel. The channel is Ranch Ferry on YouTube. Check it out. Subscribe if you're not going to send shitty comments. Um, and I what don't care you, if they do because here's I have a no be no shitty comments uh, without flames. That's my 2022 uh, deal. I flame back. Oh, if you're an irrational idiot who makes a stupid point just to try to make it, I will flame you because I've done all the study. But anyway, I will do what you said. So this, I've got content out to, like I said, October. There's a lot of sharpening things because it's uh, coming up. I've got sharpening three blades. I got how to strop. 
coming up and I've used some very practical pieces of wood that are cut off so you can actually see how you do the work. I shot a pig with a new Ranch Ferry three blade. I've got a necropsy coming up on that. Ooh. Yeah, which is one of the things that's been good for my brand is doing the necrops. I get demonetized. I actually get punished on YouTube financially for that, but it's so valuable to me, my brand, but also to the bow hunting community. When I was with Giannis hunting um, nail guy and we did a necropsy on his nail guy, he goes, I'm going to do this every time. He goes, I never thought to do that. Like you plunk one and it goes 40 yards, right? Go look, Right. Remember that spot. <laughs> and um, so sharpening videos and then just some general coaching stuff that I do. I've got an energy. We did uh, the three blade ranch fairy broadhead versus two blade broadheads and shot them through the lab radar. There was absolutely no difference at 60 yards, like negligible. I was surprised. I thought the three blade would drag more. Um, stuff like that. So it'll all be education and trying to make people better sharp broadheads and killing things. And hopefully I'll get this new, this new pig debt on the ground soon. And Oh, you'll get them. You'll get them guys. I'll, uh, I'll leave links in the show notes for the channel, for his social on Instagram and Troy, we're going to come back to Texas. Uh, actually haven't announced that, but we are coming back to Texas in 23 for a camp. We'll touch base and, uh, hopefully have you back out there and, uh, yeah, I'll come. That'll be fun. I appreciate you taking the time. Sorry about the Zoom interruptions. Um, no big deal. Looks like I need to get a subscription now, which is fine. Spend more money. Spend more money. But hey, man, I appreciate your knowledge and your passion and the fact that you're a student for life. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I'm rooting you on and I appreciate what you do, man. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks for your time, guys. Separation is in the preparation. You better start Bear Shaft tuning. We'll catch you on the next one. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that insightful conversation with Mr. Ranch Ferry. Troy, thanks again for coming on. Sorry about the Zoom interruptions. Looks like I'm going to have to get me a Zoom membership so I don't have to be cut off at 40 minutes. But he was gracious enough to give us a lot of his time. Appreciate the support, friends. Shout out to Numa Outdoors. Onyx Hunt, Buck Knives, Matthews, Archery, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Spy Point Cameras, Kifaru International, Crispy Hunting USA, Baku E-Bikes, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Sheep Feet, and the Elk Collective. You guys have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. Keep working hard towards your goals. Elk season's just around the corner. Catch you on the next one. BlackOvis.com is where I buy all my gear. I use the discount code ELKSHAPE. It takes 10% off. Very few exclusions apply. Shipping is fast and free. They're already great prices. And when it comes to getting your gear in your hands early 2022, it's never been more important. Number one, supply chain issues. Number two, inflation. Don't wait. Your prices could go up on everything. And number three, get the gear in your hand. Test it and vet it before the season. Black Ovis offers clothing, footwear, optics, gear, archery, camping, several different brands, lots of SKUs. We've partnered with them because because we believe in them. Use a discount code ELKSHAPE, save 10%. TheElkCollective.com is a website that I started with John Gabriel several years ago. We wanted to create a digital, virtual, educational learning platform where you could watch videos and learn how to elk hunt. Learn specific tactics from several different subject matter experts who hunt in different states. If you're an elk hunter, you've signed up for being a student for life. So join The Elk Collective and get going. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE podcast, all one word, and save 20% on your annual membership. NUMA Outdoors, I partner with them 
over a year ago. I switched from Sika Gear to Numa Gear. This brand believed in Elk Shape, and I believed in them. I tested their gear before partnering with them, and I was really impressed. Numa has an entire line dedicated to Out West, and here's your lineup if you're in the market. Get yourself the Base Haven base layers, the Pursuit pant with the knee pad that is removable. These are breathable, athletic, good four-way stretch pants that'll help you maneuver and be athletic in the mountains. For a top layer, I recommend a Renegade short sleeve, long sleeve, or quarter zip with a mid-layer Alpha Vertex jacket or vest, and always have a Palisade Puffy in your pack to wait out storms. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your first purchase from NUMA Outdoors. Faru International, this is the best backpack on the market in my opinion. First things first, get yourself the duplex light frame. Then you can attach any bag that you want. I have several bags in my arsenal, but my top three are going to be the hoodlum. The hoodlum is I'm going to use for anywhere from a five to seven day hunt. I can pack out an elk with it easily and I can organize my gear. The next pack of choice is going to be the 22 mag, a little bit smaller than the hoodlum. This is more of like a two or three day effort. Perfect for the elk hunt, perfect for the elk mountains, perfect for getting around and keeping your gear organized. Last but not least is the new Hellbender. This is the Striker XL on steroids. This is a pack that I'm going to be using exclusively in 2022 elk hunts. All three bags fit on my duplex light frame. And with Kifaro, you can customize your setup with accessories. I generally run on my right hip, the water bottle pocket Gen 2 for my Nalgene, a small or medium belt pouch, and generally a small, medium, large pocket somewhere on the bag. You can also backfill with the Sherman pocket or guide lid. And inside my bag, I organize all my gear with Kifaro ultralight pullouts. When it comes to sizing your frame, the belt, the straps, they have great customer service. Just pick up the phone, give them a shout, tell them Elk Shape sent you, talk to their customer service representative, get the exact size you need, buy ones, cry ones, and enjoy the best hunting backpack on the market.